Let's humble our hearts before Almighty Yahweh. Father, Yahweh, we come before you at this special time, this time of your Sabbath, and also the time we enter into your Moedim. We pray also that you will be with us as we strive to follow the examples that were given in your word that were followed in the New Testament as well. Let our hearts and minds be focused on you as they should be always, that we would do what is right in your eyes and that we would follow you in spirit and in truth. We pray for those that have a special need, that you would be their Yahweh Rapha, be their answer to whatever problem or issue they have, because we know that Satan is really busy, especially at this time of year. So we pray, Almighty Yahweh, now that you'll be with us, be with the service today, that eyes can be opened and ears as well to hear the word and to understand. And may we always be thankful to you for the truth you have allowed us to have. May we always be faithful in that truth as well. In Yahshua's name, hallelujah. And you may be seated. Well, Happy New Year, and uh, have you started getting the leavening out? You know, some are, wow, I don't have much time. And uh, I was talking to Jason, Brother Jason, earlier, and he said, you know, what did Israel do? When Pharaoh gave the final okay, did they wait around a week or two weeks or three weeks, or did they get moving right away to go to keep a feast to Yahweh? And so, you know, what we have is nothing. You're talking about two and a half, at least two and a half million people, maybe three, maybe four. They're not sure. But from what the, what, 600 Fighting men, you can kind of extrapolate from that with women, children, old people, babies. Then you got all the cattle, all the animals. But when Yahweh says go, you don't fight it. It may not be convenient for you, and that's part of the message today. What's convenient and what isn't? Who is Yahweh? Does it matter? We had sufficient confirmation that this is the uh, start of the Abib and have done what we believe is prescribed in the scriptures that we've done for decades. But, you know, it's not easy always when things come up quickly and we're just not ready. Um, I think that might be behind some of the arguments that we've gotten uh, when the, you know, regarding the calendar People pick at this and that, and uh, one lady says, you didn't see, that wasn't barley. Come on, what is it? Barley is the first one that matures. It's not wheat. Wheat takes a little longer, like a couple, couple, two, three weeks, maybe more, four weeks. I mean, it just, it's just crazy. But, you know, that's why Yahweh says you don't ordain novices. Because when you get these guys come out of the woodwork, just came on this truth, and, oh, man, they really got it. They got it all together. And you're wrong. I don't care if you studied it for 50 years and followed it for 50 years. Decade after decade, week after week, month after month, and all the ones that have gone before, it doesn't matter. I've got the truth. And it's just ridiculous. But that's the way it is. So we've got to answer these people. And they get all, everybody else all messed up. So, hey, it's a battle. But the battle, as we have sung, it belongs to Yahweh. So... Uh, but that's what I want to zero in on today. Who is Yahweh and does it matter? Why does it matter? One question more than any other defines true worship. 
It explains why we're here and why we do what we do. One question is at the core of every doctrine, every practice, every belief of the true believer, every prophetic utterance found in Scripture. One question is at the center of who we are as believers. And that question is, who is Yahweh? It all relates to that. If you can answer this one question correctly, you've defined truth. Everywhere, everything hinges on those simple, three simple words. Who is Yahweh? Answer it right, and it leads every man, woman, and child to true worship. Discovering who Yahweh is defines and explains everything we need to know about salvation. Everything. Prompting the next question, what do I do to please him? What do I need to do in my faith? Nothing? Just profess or get into my faith and please him by what he tells me to do. Instead of concentrating exclusively on the one they worship, seeking his will in all things, most typically approach the Bible from the opposite end. What is in it for me? And that's what we hear today over and over and over. What can I get out of it? Me, 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 me. How can my worship satisfy me? How, how can it make me a better person? But not only that, do nothing but give. Instead of Yahweh, they are at the center of their worship and their universe. The big desire today is, how can I personally benefit and gain from my worship? It's an approach prompted and reinforced by clerics everywhere. And they're the problem. They're the ones that bring this to a head all the time who tell people that they will, he will do great things for him if they just profess him. That's all you got to do, just profess him. My question is, how do you profess him and know him and gain his favor? How can you know him without understanding him and his will? Self-worship is also the first lie in the Bible that led to the first lie. Hasatan came to Eve. He said, look, look, come on. Just dismiss what Yahweh told you. You're not going to die if you eat that fruit. He just doesn't want you to be divine like him. He doesn't want you to be great like him. And that lie is still being told today. They want to be great like Yahweh. Really, take, take it for what it is. That's what really is behind a lot of this. You could be as big as and important as he is. Just, Eve, take a bite of this fruit. And we call him Satan, or the serpent, I should say, in Genesis. But uh, if you look in the Hebrew, it's nakash, whisperer, smooth talker. All you got to do. And she'd never heard this before. She'd never seen anything like this before. In some ways, you know, she... <laughs> She was kind of at a big disadvantage. This guy was, whatever he was, and I don't know if he was, no, if he was actually a serpent or not, but uh, he was a smooth talker, and she was drawn in by it. The true worshiper knows that putting Yahweh first in everything is, will automatically result in reciprocal blessings, but his 
focus first and foremost must be away from himself and toward Yahweh. You can't have it the other way. It doesn't work the other way. It's not about us. And that figures into everything that we do, including his feast days. It's not about us. The person who keeps Sunday in deference to the Sabbath, when he or she even knows better, is seeking self, bottom line. How can I go against church tradition? Again, puts himself first. What will my family and friends say if I start keeping the Sabbath? How will I survive if I can't work on Sabbath? All of these questions that are in the minds of people, and probably a lot more, are about them. Instead of saying, you know, like when Yahweh calls, Yahshua called the apostles, come follow me, boom, drop their nets, their fishing rods or whatever, and they followed him. They didn't stop and think, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, like the rich young ruler, well, I've got, I've, got, I've got to go to a funeral. My father died. I, I can't just take up and go. Yahshua says again, if you're not willing to do that, how can you be willing to follow me? You're putting something else before me. Where is faith in Yahweh? Where's the love of Yahweh? Where's the desire to please him? That's what we've got to ask ourselves in everything we do. In Matthew 6.25, Yahshua gives us a teaching in priorities. Therefore, say unto you, take no thought for your life. Stop right there. He's speaking against something that comes very naturally. Very naturally. Our lives, our self-interest, our self-serving, our self-exalting. They come automatically. He says, don't do that. Don't put that first. Yahshua says, forget all of that. He says, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on, is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Look at the fowls of the air. You know, we, got, we had such cold winter this year. I've, I'm just amazing. I mean, we're down to zero many, many days. And uh, I looked out my window and I saw the deer, I mean, like, in a silhouette, because we've got this big old bright light out there, silhouette, five of them, trying to eat the bird seed on the ground. And I got to thinking, you know, the animals really do suffer in this cold weather. So I started, bought a bird feeder, uh, a real good one, and then started filling that. And then I bought some deer food and started filling the deer feeder. And all the other animals started, of course the squirrels always come in, and then, and then we looked out just yesterday. Was it yesterday? The day before. Nine turkeys. Whoa. You know, it's just amazing. It's amazing what's out there. You're not even aware of it until you make a move, like I did, to start feeding them. This one big old tom turkey had the, the flared, you know, the, the tail that you always see in kindergarten when you Thanksgiving, you draw pictures of turkeys. He had that big old flare. It's amazing. And... Uh, I think even Jeff said down at the guest house there, a deer came right by the window. It, it is kind of amazing when you see a huge, a huge animal like that, a wild animal right there, right in front of your eyes. But, uh, you know, it's hard. It's hard to sometimes get through things when you don't realize what others are suffering from. And 
He says, don't worry about what you shall eat or what you shall drink or wherewith shall we be clothed. For all these things do the Gentiles seek. Your father knows the needs are. And those birds probably will survive. And, you know, I didn't. But I wanted to feed them to give them a little break because it gets cold. And I don't even like to be outside, let alone living outside. But Yahweh takes care of them. He'll take care of the animals. He'll take care of all of that. And yet we worry about ourselves. How am I going to make it? Oh, man, what's going to happen? Oh, I, I, I just can't. I'm, and one, one lady starts throwing out excuses why I can't come to the feet. Now, what do you, what do, you do if somebody is, a, is an invalid? Uh, what do you do if you don't have any money? Uh, what do you do? And she throws out all these things. I can see what she's saying. She doesn't want to come. She's trying to find a way not to come. Where Yahweh says, find a way to come. All those things can be overcome. All of them. You can't, I, I tell people, you, you can't afford to come, go borrow some money from a relative or you can go make a loan or if you don't want to do that, find a way. And of course, Yahweh pre, uh, knew that in, pre, in advance, advancement because he said, second tithe, second tithe will get you to the feast. Well, some people don't know anything about that and they just come on the feast. And, now, and I understand that and sometimes we have to help people. We say, if you get here, we can help you get home. If you can just get here. But there's all sorts of public conveyances. Um, you know, if you don't have a car, there's ways. There's plane, trains, and automobiles, you know. There, there's ways. And so, anyway, um, Yahweh wants us to look for solutions, for the reasons to say yes, not no. And because he comes first. It answers the question, who is Yahweh? He's the one that comes first in my life, in everything. If he reveals a different feast... Then you wanted to timetable maybe to go with this plan? Do you have it your way or do you have it his? Think about it. Remember what John the Baptist said when they thought he was Yahshua. Many self-seekers would milk that misunderstanding for all it's worth and pretend like they are somebody great. What did John say? I must decrease so he will increase. I need to put myself down. But you got these charlatans out there exalting themselves, calling ministries after their own name and all that. That's not what the Bible teaches. Make that our personal motto. I must decrease so that he will increase. You and I should be back in line, somewhere in 100th place back there when it comes to Yahweh and the brethren. Putting them first, not arguing about different things that don't matter. What a lesson in self-sacrifice that we find in Scripture. What a lesson in who is really being worshipped. All these trials and, command, and uh, inconveniences that we go through. Will we fight it or will we honor Yahweh? As he said, what are we going to do? No matter what happens, we go through with his plan. So... I might mention, too, we've had people say, well, uh, how do you know that, well, I said mention the lady that said there was no barley. That's not barley. Um, of course it was, but uh, say we must wait another month. What do you do? Wait another month. Well, then it's not Abib anymore, and you're not in the first month. You're in Ziv, the second month. And by the way, all these, all these uh, other names in the scriptures, not Abib, but there seemed like the rest of them, all have Babylonian roots to them that we see the Jews use and 
a few of them in the scriptures. They had Babylonian roots because Israel was in Babylon. They picked that up. So anyway, if you're in Ziv, you can't make a wave sheet because you're in a de- the next month. It's not Abib. Abib's defined as a certain, a certain green, doughy ear of barley. So anyway, the blessings come after a righteous walk, not before. The rewards come at the end, not at the beginning, you see. Yahweh says, follow me. And then you'll get the rewards at the end. People want the rewards now. What can you do for me? How can I benefit from this first? He said it doesn't work that way. Show me. Show me that you really do want to follow me. You really do love me. Then I will bless you. It's like sometimes kids, you know. um, You say, well, I've I've got a a prize for you uh, if you do such and such. Well, can I have it now? Same kind of deal. Can I have it now? No, you haven't done what, what the whole point is to get this thing done and then you'll be rewarded. But that's how people are too. Righteousness in the Greek is dikayutho, meaning the way in which man may attain approval of Yahweh involving our integrity, who we are, truth in worship, and our conduct. And that's what Passover and the feast are all about. Getting ourselves, our understanding, our worship correct before Yahweh. Yahweh comes first, then comes the blessings. He always comes first. Everything we do as his people must fall under that rule. That's what's being lost today in our world. Not only don't people not even want to follow the scriptures, but those that do got the priority wrong. Got the priority wrong. He takes precedence in our lives and all we do, and that means we keep his times, his Sabbaths, his code of conduct, everything that he commands us to do. That's what we try to do. We're not perfect, but we try. We strive for perfection. Submit to him in everything. Not our job, school, or resistant family members. None of that can come first. You aren't working out your salvation if you put something else first. It, it, it doesn't work that way. Each of us is responsible for the lives we live. No one else is going to answer for me. I can't answer for anybody else. He says, work out your own salvation, your own salvation for, with fear and trembling. You know, there's, there's a danger, speaking of who is Yahweh, there's a danger in calling him a title. You ever thought about that? Not only is, is are these titles, G-O-D, L-O-R-D, rooted in a, a heathen uh, dimension, a heathen origin. But to most people, he's a nameless, generic, mighty one. They don't think about it. They call him G-O-D, but they, uh, they try to make a, a name out of that. But I think in, in their heart of hearts, they know it's not really a name. But a nameless, generic, mighty one can accept any kind of worship, can he? Because... It's no real person behind it, no real being behind it telling me what to do. As long as the worshiper is sincere, they feel, well, I can kind of finesse my worship the way I want to. 
It's completely amorphous and flexible, taking whatever shape they choose, and they'll argue about it, you know, well, that's, that's, your, that's your truth, that's not mine, so they're making their own. Uh, do you worship his way or not? That's the question echoed from the beginning of the word all the way through. Is it your worship or is it my worship? When you use somebody's name, ever notice this? You see somebody on the road and say, hey, hey, man, or hi, bud, or something like that. But when you use his name, you're drawn into his sphere, and he becomes personal. It becomes personal. The same with Yahweh. And they warm to that. All of a sudden, hey, smiles come on and want to pat you on the back. He knew my name, and he cared enough to know my name. Is it about Yahweh or is it about you? There's no other way to slice it. The only way of truth is to practice what he's outlined in his word. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is about taking out the leaven, the falsity and the error that can lead to sin. In his instruction to his people, there's only one way, one narrow way to observe his feast. You take out the leavening. Back there you'll see a whole bunch of pile of leavening agents that everybody hopes will be eaten up or do something. You hate to waste food. But uh, I may feed some animals with some of our excess, and we got a lot of it because we, well, just like everybody else, we weren't quite ready, you know. But anyway, uh, to know Yahweh, you got to know more than just a generic being. you got to know his name, which is fundamental to knowing anybody. And observing his Sabbaths and feasts come along with it. That's what we mean by who is Yahweh. He has a prescribed way of worship that he commanded anciently and all the way through in the New Testament, same way, basically. A few tweaks when it comes to, uh, of course, sacrifices. But to worship him in truth is to know him. The basic biblical definition of knowing him is obeying him. Notice 1 John 2, 3. And hereby we know that we know him. How? How do we know that we know him? And does he know us? If we keep his commandments. He that says, I know him, and keeps not his commandments is what? Is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keeps his word, in him verily is the love of Yahweh perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. We know him because we're trying to follow in an obedient walk. And that demands a humble heart. It demands a, a heart willing to change, willing to, you know, uh, submit to him if we're on the wrong track. You look at Ezekiel 20, verse 10. In chapter 20, Yahweh prescribes a rebellious Israel with whom he tried to be a personal father. Wherefore, I caused them to go forth out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. In verse 11, and I gave them my statutes and showed them my judgments, which if a man do, he shall even live in them. Another very important point. Yahweh's worship is active. It's not the passive worship of the world. It's active in everything. It's active. Life in motion. It's not just a lot of words and promises. It's a way of life. And that's why we actually live his Sabbath, his feast days, and all these other things. We actually don't eat pork and not just talk about it. It's action. 
A life of a true believer is expressed in active verbs. Doing. Doing. And I think if, that, if there's anything that describes our faith, some say, well, how are you different from, you know, this, this one over here in church or whatever? I would say it's because we take up the gauntlet and we actually do to the best of our ability what Yahweh has told us to do. It's active. Let your life be a living, breathing sermon, as one man used to say. Israel's worship was a doing, active faith. You always see them doing stuff, don't you? Israel's a very active people. Hebrews are active people. And they're doing something. Moreover, also I gave them my Sabbath to be a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am Yahweh that sanctified them. This is an intriguing statement that answers part of the question, who is Yahweh? Just how do the Sabbaths reveal that he is Yahweh that sanctifies us? Sanctify means to set apart. By keeping the Sabbath, you're definitely set apart. So on a Sabbath, you take off from work. You don't go to school. You refrain from business dealings. You refrain from entertainment, maybe, that you normally would do during the, a regular week. You spend the day studying and meditating on the word, watching YRM services. You honor and worship him. He becomes the focus of your entire day, not for an hour, not for a half hour of sitting in a pew and then going home and forgetting everything. You honor him in that day, and that flies in the face of what most people think worship is. We take an active part in everything, including when he talks about his his calendar. They had to offer at certain times, right? His feast days and so forth. Noah. I mean, look at, all right. I don't have time to go through the whole chapter, but Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter. And why were these people so prominent? Why are they in the hall of fame of faith? I should say the hall of faith, maybe. Because they did something. He talks about, uh, by faith, Abel offered unto Elohim. A more excellent sacrifice. He had to go out and get a right sacrifice. Something he had to do by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. And Elohim testifying of his gifts. Uh, By faith, Enoch, well, he was translated. He should not see death and was not found because Yahweh had translated him. Yahweh acted on him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, it says. By faith, Noah, what did he do? We know what Noah did. It's a big... uh, I believe it's somewhere in Tennessee. They made the mock-up of the, the ark. It always kills me. They put a keel on it like it's going somewhere. <laughs> it was a big tub. That's all I, all I had to do was float. Didn't have to, but ah, it, it looks good to make it look like a boat. I would say, what's this big tub sitting down here for if they didn't? But anyway, uh, he built it. He, I mean, he spent, what do they say, about like 100 years building this thing and then putting pitch all over it, you know, uh, waterproofing it. Abraham, oh my goodness, this guy, faithful Abraham, he's called in Scripture. Look what all he did. He left Ur of the Chaldees. He, he uh, went down into the, the promised land area. He, he uh, defended his nephew Lot. I mean, on and on and on. He became the father of the faithful and what he did, not what he thought about, not what he confessed, but what he did. And, I mean, it goes on and on. And there's the whole chapter. Um, Moses. 
Oh man, look what he did. Leading Israel out of Egypt and then having to put up with all the complainers. But his, his role was active in the faith of Yahweh. He showed the people how to live the faith by what he did. Uh, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and, and gave commandments concerning his home. And then he, then he mentions Moses here. I mean, everything is active. They weren't just passively living a faith by their mind. They were living their faith by their heart and their actions. Their heart and their actions. So, physically, mentally, spiritually, you're set apart from the world when you come before him. You immerse yourself in the scriptures. A transformation happens spiritually when you obey his Sabbath, weekly and annual. It renews your mind. Why is it that some of the longest living people on earth, at least in this country, are Seventh-day Adventists up in Nebraska? Why is that? Well, for one thing, they eat clean, most of them. Um, they follow the clean food laws. You know? They keep the Sabbath the best they know. You have to have rest, weekly rest, to rejuvenate. I was listening to a radio program just recently, and they talked about sleep. And it said, yeah, you can, you can not have sleep. You can push it maybe three hours a night. But your cells have to have that sleep. They have to be able to rest. And when you're getting up and going at 3 in the morning, your cells are asleep still. And it all relates to, you know, the... Uh, the uh, timing of your uh, biological clock. But anyway, it's important to have sleep. A transformation happens spiritually when you obey his Sabbaths, weekly and annual, you renew your mind. You renew your mind. You come away from the feast on the high, and man, you just you have all these wonderful blessings that you have when you come to the feast and all the connections you made with people. And he renew them too. And you know it feeds on each other, doesn't it? You, you encourage others. You lift up their spirits. As you do that, you're lifting up your own. And then they do you too. It's a wonderful thing to be together with brethren for a week. There's nothing like it. People can't wait to get to the feast. And I don't blame them. I can't either. The Sabbaths include not just the weekly, of course, but those in his feast days. Everyone has a feast day connected to it uh, through a Sabbath. Uh, it's a substitute term for feast in scriptures, the Moedim. Implicit in the meaning of the Hebrew word is assemblies. We come together during these times. These are appointed times, and we always keep our appointments, don't we? You have a doctor's appointment. Oh, I can't miss that. You have a point with Yahweh, well, you know, maybe next year, or maybe I can come later, or I got this and that and this, and I one excuse after another. Who is Yahweh? <laughs> Again, who is Yahweh? Are you actually really worshiping Yahweh when you come up with these excuses? And what's going to be the result when all is said and done? When Yahshua, your judge, you stand before him, if you're not in the first resurrection, what do you, what what? What excuses are you going to use? What are you going to do then? They're a sign, and Yahweh knows and understands his people. 
He knows what they need. He gives them what they need. And that's what we do. We follow him. The New Testament believer might legitimately ask that since uh, he was known by observance of the Sabbath and because he sets apart people by a Sabbath in the Old Testament, which Sabbath did Yahweh or Yahshua give us in the New Testament? Because I understand we're New Testament people now. A lot of stuff doesn't even pertain to us anymore. Really? Really? That's not what the scriptures say. If that's so, why did Yahshua and the apostles and those after them in the book of Acts continue on doing the same things that they did in the Old Testament? Kept the same days. Honored the same Sabbath. Did the, you know, they didn't sacrifice animals, but they had Yahshua as a sacrifice. What, what, what really has changed? He says, I am Yahweh, I change not, Malachi 3.6. Do we find any other Sabbaths or feast-associated Sabbath given to anyone converted under the new covenant? Well, you might say, well, yeah, but those were Jews and blah, blah, blah. Okay, um, someone's starting out in the truth, Cornelius or something. Did Paul say, okay, well, let me sit down with you guys. Uh, I got to tell you some things here. Uh, you know everything I've been doing? Uh, you don't have to do that because you're now a new covenant believer. Um, remember everything that Yahshua taught? You, you don't have to do that. Um, you're on a different track now, and it's a whole lot easier. Believe me, it's a whole lot easier. You don't have to do that. I'm not going to turn to him and say, are you for real? How are, this doesn't make any sense at all. Well, it's all been done away. Well, why didn't Yahshua tell us that? Well, slipped his mind. You know, nowhere do we find that the Passover feast of unleavened bread has been replaced by something else. Certainly not Ishtar or Xmas. The same goes for Pentecost, which you find the apostles observing in Acts 2. Nothing in the New Testament takes the place of the Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, Feast of Tabernacles. Nothing. Well, those feasts were only for Israel. Well, really? Well, then, why did Yahshua and the apostles keep them? Why... Even after his death, did they continue on doing it? Peter said, I haven't. It's been 10 years since Joshua was alive. And Peter said, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. Now, I know they were kind of behind in communication, not like today. But why didn't someone tell Peter, hey, what are you doing, Peter? I mean, they were with him, you know, 10 years. I'm sure they bumped into some other apostles and they didn't tell him. Peter, you know... Pat him on the back. Come on over here. We got we to talk. You're still doing old things that are no longer necessary. No, we don't see that. He says, I haven't done it and I won't do it because it's part of what the command is. We don't eat unclean things because we are a clean people. Shouldn't that fact resonate with every churchgoer? Would he just stop and think a minute? Gee, I wish they would think a minute. Paul in Galatians 6.16 calls the New Testament Assembly the Israel of Yahweh. We're still Israel. We're grafted in. In 1 Corinthians 10, he says that Israel's experiences and lessons are examples for us. I mean, you read the chapter. Read 1 through 11 of, of uh, 1 Corinthians 10 and see how Israel is no different from us. We're no different from them. The continuity continues. He says, I'm preaching no new thing. But what you had from the beginning. Yahweh made a covenant with Abraham, which included a promise that Abraham's seed would cover the earth. 
cover the earth like sand of the sea. In his parable of Luke 13, Yahshua said there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom, and you didn't make it. Why? Why? Because of your iniquity, your stubbornness to do it your way. So how to become included with Abraham and not be thrust out? Paul wrote in Galatians 3.9 that, that those who are of faith are what? Those who are of faith, meaning the faith, are what? They're blessed with the faithful Abraham. 3.26. For you are all the children of Yahweh by faith in Messiah Yahshua. 3.27. For as many of you have been baptized unto Messiah, put on Messiah. Faith in Messiah, baptized into Messiah, putting on Messiah. Sounds like we just become like him, doesn't it? Doesn't they put him on? You know, if you put a costume on that looks like somebody, you become that person. Well, he's talking about that in metaphorical terms. You put him on, and we do what he did. That is what we must do. He is our pattern for life. And worship. If I could make one point with our friends in churchianity, I wish they would turn to John 14, 12. 14, 12. Verily I say unto you, he that believes on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and the greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father. If you shall ask anything in my name, he says, I will do it. If you love me, verse 15, and keep my commandments. If you love me and keep my commandments. And I'll pray to the Father. He shall give you another comforter and so forth. So he is our guide. And he will bless us if we do what he tells us to do. First Peter 2.21 I find this uh, very fascinating. He says, For even hence unto, hence unto you were you called, because Messiah suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Now this is Peter, way past Yahshua's death and resurrection, saying, follow in his steps who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Follow in his steps. That means do what he did. Be, let him be our guide. Let him be our example. Let him be our, our, uh, our pattern for life. That's what Yasha was supposed to do as he followed his father. Paul said, I follow him. Follow me. In order to be considered as one of his people, one is expected to keep Yahweh's covenant. Doing so will bring you into his family. We find that in Exodus 19, verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall uh, be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which shall speak unto the children of Israel. That I believe that, I believe, what he said here is the gospel. As people say, the gospel. 
the gospel of the kingdom. That phrase is used over and over and over. But when do you hear anything about that in church today? About the kingdom? The kingdom is automatic. You die, you go to heaven. That's, that's what they believe. I saw a website one, site, one time said, the biggest question we get is that. How do I get to heaven? Sorry to blow your bubble, but you're not going there. I don't care how righteous you are. You're going to be given the kingdom on the earth if you should prove faithful. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak unto the children of Israel. What all of this means is that if you want the promise of a priestly position in the kingdom, because he says you'll be a kingdom of priests, if you want that promise, keep the covenant. The physical priesthood simply represent a more important, a more significant future priesthood, spiritual priesthood. Because in Revelation 5.10, he says, and has made us unto our Elohim kings and priests, or it should be a kingdom of priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Now, how is that hard to understand? Why haven't they given up that doctrine of going to heaven centuries ago? It's right there. It's been in the Bible, but they will not read it. Or if they read it, they ignore it. He made a covenant, an agreement with his people. And he made a physical reminder in the form of, a, of the ark so that they could not forget it. That other ark in the heavens. The real thing. Reminds us that the covenant is alive and well today. If Yahshua changed the covenant, why didn't he throw the ark out? Because that represents the old. You know, it had the, well, it had the Aaron's rod and the, the uh, unleavened bread and also the commandments to the side. Don't need it anymore. Why is it still there? It said it's still there. Yeah, we made a few revisions in the new covenant, but those changes never touched upon the basic commands of who is Yahweh? So when Yahweh gave Israel a covenant, when he includes the seven annual feast days, something very special was going on. Something very special. Because these feasts will be a part of the coming kingdom. And spiritual Israel be, will be observing them. I've always asked that. You know, if they're not in effect today, why are they going to be in effect in the kingdom? I'm dumbfounded by those these truths that uh, have remained a veritable secret in the scriptures in the bulk of churchianity. Right there in plain sight, right there big and bold in their Bibles, yet the way of truth has remained a mystery to most people. It's been hidden. Sister Debbie said in the Bible study this morning, she says, in the Roman church she was a part of, they didn't want you to read the Bible. I said, don't, you don't know what it's about. So don't, don't even read it. And I know that early on, the church, you know, back in the early centuries, they would have one Bible at the, some kind of center of the worship center, you know, chained to it so you couldn't go with it. And as soon as you go in there, if you were allowed to go in there, there's the priest standing right behind you telling you what it really says. So, you know, we can't be changing the word. We can't be changing what it says. I'm dumbfounded that so many doctrines today are not in the scriptures. But they become encased in uh, cement, I guess, for many people. 
From the feast, we learn the key lessons of first fruits, first resurrection, first fruits, greater rewards as priests, followed by the second resurrection, where the rank and file will serve Yahweh under the priests in the first resurrection, under David, under Yahshua. That's what the Bible shows us. Exodus 12 was about Israel's observing the Passover and Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Passover in Egypt, Feast of in the Wilderness after leaving Goshen. This is before the law was reiterated on Sinai. Before. It was mentioned all the way before that. Israel could not have the feasts in Goshen where they were living. They couldn't do it. He says, you've got to come out into the wilderness to keep the feasts. You can't stay here. And that just tells us metaphorically that we can't stay in an environment of the world. We've got to come out. We've got to come out into the truth and not into the world of sin. They were to come out and keep a feast in the wilderness, to set them apart, to sanctify them by keeping his days. That's how you become separated. So there's a whole lot to observing Yahweh's feast days. He separates his people today the same way. We're out in the wilderness of the world. We know that. Just step out for five minutes. You get the shock of the world and the way they live and the way they see things and the way they despise the truth. What we see there is the beginning of redemption through the Moedim or appointed seasons of Yahweh. It was for the express purpose of holding a feast that he took Israel out of Egypt. But you won't see that in Hollywood. They don't even mention that. That he actually did it to get them out of there so that they could what? Worship him in truth. Not going to ever see that displayed in the movies. They completely wash. That's a wash. And they don't want anybody to know that. It's the feast that take us out of this world and draws close to Yahweh. And that's the key lesson. That's the key lessons why we observe Yahweh's feast. It's not just something we do because, you know, not just because automatically he said do it, do it. But there's reasons behind he does these things. Always. Passover leads us out of sin. The penalty through the death of Yahshua. Unleavened bread. Walk in humbleness and purity, forsaking the ways of fleshly man. And walking on higher ground. Pentecost, Feast of Weeks, the law of the Spirit together to ensure our acceptance by Yahweh. Trumpets, Yahshua likely returns and gathers his elect. Atonement, finding harmony with Yahweh through Yahshua. Tabernacles, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Yahshua still, he prayed it in his model prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Was he praying for just that time? Or was he praying for a time of the kingdom? Well, he's talking that the context is the kingdom. Obviously, he's talking about the kingdom whose will will be done on earth. What does the guy in churchianity say? I'm going to heaven. Well, I'm going to earth. So I guess we'll wave at each other. No wonder the evil, evil one has done his level best with enormous success, by the way, to create a counterfeit faith. And he doesn't care what kind of counterfeit, as long as it's not the real one. He doesn't care. Not only did that, that blur Yahweh's plan, but also deceives the masses into thinking they're pleasing Yahweh when they're not. And when you keep them comfortable, they're not going to move. You know? They're happy where they are. But again, Yahweh's 
faith, Yahweh's people are active people, active in their faith. And today still thunders, I am Yahweh. These are my feasts. You have no authority to change anything or make your own, your own way. And then in Deuteronomy 5.33, it's crystal clear. You shall walk in all the ways which Yahweh Elohim has commanded you, that you may live and that it may be well with you and that you may prolong your days in the land which you possess. Well, I hope this has helped maybe to understand a, a little more, maybe a little another dimension of Yahweh's feast because it all relates to him. It all goes back to him. It's not something that we just see in black and white in the pages of a, a book, but in the words of our father who one day will judge us by what we understand and what we followed. So I pray that each of us will be strong in the faith and that we will find these coming feasts, Passover and feast, a real blessing this year. And maybe uh, we'll have more insights that we didn't have before and that Yahweh will bless us. Hallelujah.